You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Gene. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and Bing.com, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Desperate Housewives After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. If you'd like to buzz in on tonight's show, you can buzz us at 424 256 1729. That's 424. 424- Two five six seventeen twenty nine, and now another post game wrap up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Desperate Housewives After Show. Hey everybody, how you doing? I'm Derek Shore. Thanks for tuning in for another week of Desperate Housewives. It's our after show for Housewives season eight, episode fourteen. I cannot believe this last season is zipping along so quickly. We're in season eight. And if you saw the tease after tonight's After Buzz uh, Desperate Housewives show, you'll see that there are only seven full episodes left before we hit the series finale, the two-hour series finale. So enjoy this show. <laughs> enjoy this show while you can. Oh, Phil Svitek, our producer in the booth, thank you so much for that sound effect. I truly am sad about this. Phil, you're not sad about this because you're not as much a big fan of the show like we are, right? I'm not as invested, no. But you know what? Even if you have never seen this show, I think it's worth tuning in to to Desperate Housewives for the last few because there are so many funny, funny lines. I don't know what's up with the writers this season. Maybe it's because they know this is their last hurrah for this specific show. But I really feel like the writing has gotten really tight. There's some great one-liners. The characters are de- delivering some lines that really pack a punch. And as uh, as usual, we are seeing the storyline take twists and turns unexpectedly. Uh, let's start right off with uh, Bree and Orson, the return of the very sinister Orson. In the last episode, we saw, of course, Bree had been at the bar and this douchebag guy probably was going to rape her, essentially. He took her out to the parking lot and stole her keys and sort of threw her up against the car. And out of the middle of nowhere appears Orson. He just happens to have, what else? A taser in his pocket. He tases the guy and saves the day. So as a viewer, we're thinking, oh, wow, Orson's here. What a nice guy. Wow, we haven't seen him for a while. We thought he was completely out of this series. But he's back. Now, in this episode, we start to see that he's back, but perhaps not so innocently. He apparently has this plan to manipulate Brie. Who knows what is going to happen? But in this episode, we had a few questions answered. Throughout this entire season, we've seen some pretty dramatic events with the accidental killing of Gabby's stepfather and the subsequent uh, burying of him out in the woods. We saw all of the women together stuffing his body in the trunk. And in so many episodes, we've seen this mysterious pair of hands on a steering wheel. So we know that the women have been 
being watched, especially Bree. And in this episode, we learned that it was indeed Orson who had been watching them, who has been watching them all along, our Foxy Roxy Stryer. She was the one who hit the nail on the head with that prediction last week. But an additional part of this story that I was not expecting is that those mysterious notes that have been arriving in the mailboxes, those have also been delivered by Orson. If you back up, back to the very first episode, the premiere episode of this series, season one, we saw one of the housewives, Mary Alice Young, hold a gun to her head and kill herself after she received in her mailbox a note that said, I know what you did, it makes me sick, and I'm going to tell, was the last line. Well, so the same note Bree had received, and she's received these notes in her mailbox, same handwriting, same stationery. So apparently Orson is the guy, and apparently Orson has a deeper history with the ladies on the lane, an even deeper history than any of us knew about. So I'm totally curious to see where this goes. And uh, one of our viewers, listeners, Majid, over in Qatar, he tweeted me earlier today and made a great point. When Orson comes back into the picture, clearly Bree has been on the rocks with all the all the women on the lane. Lynette has abandoned her, Susan has, and even Gabby. But in the last episode, we saw them come forward and say, wow, we didn't realize that the, your alcoholism had, had crept back up into the picture. We didn't realize you were going through all of this stuff, and we really want to make an effort to patch up this friendship. So they stepped forward to make the effort. But now that Orson's back in the picture, he's been able to pull a few strings and manipulate the situation to try to make Bree even further apart from these women. We saw at the beginning of this episode, the women came by to say hi to Bree, and they said, can we see her? Can we say hi? And he said, no, 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 she's inside. I, I don't think she's ready for that. And they said, okay, well, will you at least just let her know that we love her and we care about her, we're here for her when she needs us? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll be sure to pass along that message. And clearly, predictably, he did not. And even a number of times in the episode, in fact, not only did he omit the fact that these women had stopped by to say hi to their friend, but he also lied, blatantly lied to Bree and said, uh, eventually admitted that the women had come by, but said it was a very unpleasant exchange and they had said some nasty things about her. So it's very clear in this episode that Orson's plan is to get Bree away from Wisteria Lane. In fact, he even suggested that they move to Maine, or at least go for a visit, check it out. But ultimately, he wants her away from these women. And based on the sinister notes and the sinister music that, that serves as a, a great piece of foreshadowing throughout this entire episode, we know that something bad could be in store for Brie. This, um, Phil, you really should tune into this to this last last season as we've got a few episodes left. I'm telling you, even if you haven't been closely following the show, I think I think it's worth it. For you the know drama. what, it, it's going to be like one of those things. Um, you know, like you always see Friends repeats and things like that. You yeah, know, a, sh- a show like that never dies. And I think uh, in many ways, you know, you hit a certain amount of seasons. You know, eight, that's a huge, huge number. Huge. It's, it's going to be repeated all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So I will catch up.
Well, I know you have a lot of shows to watch, but it's hard. It's hard to to add another one to the list. But these last few episodes, simply for the lines, I'm telling you, I wrote down some of these quotes. I thought Gabby had some of the best lines of this episode. She, um, in obviously, these girls, Gabby's daughters, kind of give her hell a lot of the time. She has no control over them. She tries to manipulate them with food, which sometimes temporarily works. But I loved in the beginning when they were on the swings and she's on her phone and she's like, this phone has a whoop-ass app pretty funny right (laughs) I thought it was pretty good and she is so fed up with the girls that in fact another one of her great lines uh, she gets Carlos on the phone and she says you got to talk to these girls because I've got rocks they've got backpacks and there's a lake on the way to school I'm just saying so Gabby in a very humorous way implies that she will murder her own children which uh, I know is horrible if you think about it, but it's quite funny. Gabby is, uh, she always serves as great comic relief. And we mentioned, Roxy and I were talking about this last week, how Gabby always, in the moment, she seems to make these horrible decisions. She lies to people. She manipulates her kids. She's willing to make someone feel bad about themselves for her own personal gain. And usually she comes around and snaps out of it. This episode, we didn't quite see her snap out of it just yet. And the way this all plays out is her neighbor, Karen McCluskey, who I'm sure all of us know from watching this show, very sweet woman. Uh, She's never served as a very central character in the series, but this episode she definitely did. And it, it all happened with with the fact that she kicked her partner Roy out of the house. It seemed like they were on the outs. Gabby reluctantly invites Roy, well, he'd, he kind of invites himself to go and live with Gabby and the girls while Carlos is away at rehab. And initially, Gabby is not hot on this idea at all. But once she realizes that he is able to whip the girls into shape, he fought in Korea, he said he killed a few men, he has notches on his belt representing every person he killed in the Korean War, the girls suddenly turn into these little soldiers and he whips them into shape and has them doing chores and working around the house. So suddenly, Gabby thinks that this is the best thing since sliced bread. And she's willing to have him stay around at least for the next 16 days until Carlos gets out of rehab. And what's horrible, I mean, this is so classic Gabby, but it's so horrible. Mrs. McCluskey comes over with a peace offering. She brings an old-fashioned apple pie to the front door and says, hey, could you give this to Roy? I made this for him. It's his favorite. So what does Gabby do? Of course, she hides the pie and has her girls eat it. So he doesn't even know. Roy doesn't even know that Karen has come over to try to patch things up. And honestly, it's a little... It's just a bummer, right? These are elderly folks. Clearly, you don't want to see them upset or suffering or sad that they're apart. But Gabby, for her own selfish purposes, she 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 tries to keep them apart. And Roy even says in one scene, oh, you know, I'm really sad. I, I miss her so much. And Gabby jumps in and says, what's to miss? The nagging, the yelling, the blah, 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 blah. So, oh, Gabby, 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 you're so funny and beautiful and you have these amazing lines. But I just feel so bad for Roy and Karen. And when this episode wrapped up and we saw Karen in the doctor's office with the doctor discussing her MRI results, oh my gosh, I 
there were a few times in this episode I laughed out loud. However, this is one of those moments I felt emotional. I didn't actually cry. I know I've cried in plenty of other episodes. But this is the first time I have really felt for her character. And who knows what's going to happen. I think they may have thinned her hair out or put a wig on her to to make her hair look a little bit different. But they did a good job with making her look a, a little bit sickly. And the doctor broke the news to her that her cancer's back. It's metastasized in her brain. And it's just not a pretty situation. He even says, this is going to be a rough few months. You're going to need Roy now more than ever. And she lets the doctor know, well, actually, Roy's not in the picture anymore. Sad, sad, <laughs> sad. You know what? Be- <laughs> that sound effect is totally inappropriate right now. And Phil, you can get away with putting that in because you're heartless and you don't watch this show yourself. That's why. I've seen this show up until season seven. <laughs> there are some moments that are worth crying about. That that sound effect really made you seem heartless. <laughs> And what is that sound effect? Oops, I wanted to go. With, that was the peeing one, but I wanted to go with the farting one. I, <laughs> you know, the the funny thing is, uh, the the peeing sound effect was relevant to this episode because the first night that Roy stays in Gabby's house, she doesn't get any sleep, and and I guess he got up to use the bathroom six times, and he said, "Well, you know what they say: heart of a lion, uh, bladder of a fruit fly." So thank you for that sound effect, Phil. What else you got? I'm 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 feeling like I'm probably going. Wow, that's pretty good. Do you actually record those sound effects yourself? Is that your voice? Oh, excuse me. Or excuse you, should I say? Um, the anyway. It's... Sorry, I was picturing Whore Island. <laughs> so thank you, Phil. Obviously, did I even mention Roxy is out today? This is Oscar week in L.A. Oscar week in L.A. is one of the biggest weeks around. It doesn't matter what you do in the industry. If this is your industry, it's a big week. We're all out, you know, getting waxed and primped and pramped and all of that. We're going to be broadcasting from the Mondrian gift suite in a couple days. And uh, anyway, people are a bit crazy. So thank you all for bearing with the uh, little messed up after buzz schedule this week because we are all recording our, our shows. Many of us are recording Do- our shows. It doesn't at help that times. Roxy also has finals because Roxy is, in fact, participating al- along with you at the uh, Oscars. Yes, um, she is. And that's from noon to 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And yeah, it doesn't help that she's got finals. She, Roxy has such a full plate this week. And in fact, she is so busy, we couldn't even get her on the phone. She didn't even have a free block of time today that we could get her on the phone. So Roxy, we miss you. And um, in the meantime, I've got to put up with Phil's sound effects to keep me company while you're out. So please come back soon. Okay. I'd really appreciate that. So anyway, let's get back to let's get back to Desperate Housewives. I am all I'm all for for allowing a story arc to to take me up and take me down and see someone going through hardship, knowing that they're gonna be feeling better in the next episode. You sort of expect that as a viewer, right? The good and the bad, the ebb and the flow. But there is something really hard about seeing Roy and Karen McCluskey not getting along. So I hope Gabby snaps out of her selfish ways and I really hope that the next episode we see these two back together because if it turns out that Karen is going to die before the end of this series she better have every last moment with Roy that she can possibly squeeze in okay something that we haven't talked about yet and the biggest biggest shocker of this episode I think even more so than Orson being the uh, the writer of all those notes 
is the fact that we finally discover who Julie's baby daddy is. Okay. This is a big, big, big deal. <laughs> yeah, it was a big ooh for me. I did not see this coming. In fact, they completely set us up for this, and I still didn't get all of the clues. So, as we know from the last episode, Julie shows up. She's five months pregnant. Susan, her mother, did not know anything about this. So this is a lot for all of us to take in all at once. And we don't know who the baby daddy is, but Julie has decided to give up the baby. Susan really, really wants to keep the baby. She wants Julie to keep the baby. She would. Susan has offered to raise the baby herself. She will, she will do whatever it takes to get this baby, including lying to her daughter, lying to adoptive parents, lying to anybody involved. Well, so it turns out... Susan overhears a conversation Julie has on the phone saying, well, you're the father of this baby. Uh, I'm not talking about this on the phone. Meet me at the coffee shop in half an hour. So Susan, as she's delivering laundry, overhears this and thinks, oh my gosh, gold mine. Now is my chance to discover who this father is. So Susan, hiding behind her newspaper at the coffee shop, is waiting. She spies on Julie across the way and is waiting to see who the baby daddy is. And it's none other than Porter. Porter Scavo, Lynette's son. And what's funny is I never realized Susan had so much contempt for for Lynette's son. It was so funny. Some of some of her lines, they uh, she was thinking, what? This this is the kid you used to babysit. This was the snot nosed kid who who got his head stuck in our fence. Clearly, Susan is really upset about the fact that the the father of this baby is Porter and Coincidentally, we, we do see the return of Porter and his twin brother at the beginning of this episode. They show up on Lynette's front doorstep needing a place to live after being evicted, evicted from their apartment. So these are college-age boys who clearly haven't figured out the way to take care of themselves just yet, and they need a place to live. So imagining one of them having a baby seems a little bit overwhelming. Seems a little bit overwhelming. Anyway, so Susan finds this out, totally freaks, and clearly Lynette doesn't know about this yet. So Susan invites Lynette over for the suspicious afternoon spot of tea and some cookies and, hey, let's hang out like girlfriends. And Lynette clearly knows something is up. Well, the news does not go too well. Uh, it doesn't go over well with Lynette. Lynette knows what a disaster Porter is, or allegedly is, and she's all for Julie giving up the baby. So it seems like Julie and Lynette are on team adoption, and Susan and Porter are on team keep the baby. So it's split, and it's tricky because in a situation like this, as they point out in the episode, the mother and the father, they both have the right to choose whether this baby is put up for adoption or whether they raise it themselves. So it's a little tricky because they're completely at odds with this. Julie wants to get on with her life. She wants this baby to go to a responsible household. Porter wants to raise it himself, even though he admits he only has $17 in his checking account. What a messy, messy situation. And Susan and Lynette have been really close friends this season, but we are now seeing that 
they are not going to be getting along, at least for for the upcoming episodes. Gosh, I mean, I'm 30 years old. I can't imagine being a single dad and raising a kid by myself. Phil, can you imagine that? It does not seem like it would be a cakewalk. No, I mean, that's why a lot of movies that you see, the premise is like a single parent because you know it's just – it's just perfect for drama. Totally. Drama, riddled with conflict, all kinds of trouble. Well, it's um <laughs> that was a big shock for me. That was the that was the biggest shock of this entire episode. I just was not seeing that coming. And also, we really haven't seen much of Lynette's twins this entire season. So it's nice to see some of some of these characters coming back. Is it cuz those twins are uh, kind of more focused on school right now? I know Roxy goes to school with them. Yeah, the right? boys, they do attend USC. And I see them out every once in a while, but um, yeah, I would imagine it's not. I was doing a TV show when I was in college, and I'm telling you, it was not easy. It was definitely not an easy schedule. So who knows? I I also think though that some of these characters, they just every Desperate Housewives episode, Phil, it packs in so much stuff. They are so tightly written and constantly um, pulling 180s on you. I, I just don't know how they can fit so much into these episodes. So maybe that's it too. Maybe they just don't have room for these guys in the in the storyline. I would agree. Um, and you know what? Uh, just from reading from other TV shows like uh, people's books, um, you know, you always kind of – you get into a very good groove – um, after a certain while, you know, the first season you kind of test out the waters. And then, I mean, season A, you've been through so many episodes. So the writers, they have a feel for themselves. And they, uh, I don't know how they do it on this show, but in other shows, you know, one person will write a storyline, you know what I mean? So, like, if it's the Lynette storyline, they'll just specifically write for that and her. Right. So that they always have her voice in the best way, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, <clears throat> ben, the uh, remember neighbor Ben, who is sort of the love interest of Renee. Well, he continues to have financial problems, and there's a kind of a dramatic scene in this episode where Mike shows up at the construction site and he sees this dark figure running through the construction site and is like, "Hey, hey, you!" And then the next thing you know, there's this huge explosion, and it turns out once Mike is able to catch up with a guy, which by the way, it, if I was out in the middle of the night and some sketchy dude was wearing a hood and clearly trying to disguise himself and was sneaking around. I think I would maybe jump back in my car and call the police or drive away or something. I don't know if I would go chasing after him. Anyway, whatever. Mike, uh, tough guy that he is, he chases after this dark figure. Turns out the guy is Ben. Ben is trying to blow up pieces of equipment at his own construction site because if you recall from the last few episodes he's having major financial product uh, problems the project has been stalled and instead of taking out a loan from a bank perhaps he couldn't he took out a loan from the mob essentially and he owes payback to these guys and if he's not able to pay them they're going to kill him or break his kneecaps, or something bad is going to happen. So he is so desperate, Ben, that he goes to his construction site, tries to cause all kinds of damage that he's hoping the insurance company will pay for, so he'll have a bit of cash on hand so he can pay off uh, his debtors, or his creditors, rather. And that's that's a problem. <laughs> and as Mike points out, first of all, that's fraud, but it gives you an idea of the kind of desperate situation he's in to do this. Take it easy. We are the good guys. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Spoken by, by a true mobster, right? So 
Anyway, fast forward to later in the episode, Renee finds out through Mike that Ben is in the hospital because Ben thought he was having a heart attack. It was chest pains and it was stress induced uh, because he's under so much pressure, mainly, uh, mainly. I'm having trouble with my words today. Mostly financial pressure. So Renee goes to the hospital to visit Ben with her checkbook and she says, how much, how much money do you need? I'm here to help you. And interestingly, Ben refuses the offer. And this, I I really thought, redeemed him. He he really redeemed himself for what happened uh, recently. Remember, he proposed to Renee. And when she said yes and told him how much she knew that she could trust him, he said, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I propose to you because I know you have a lot of money and you can help me with this situation and I'm a better person than that and I feel so horrible and no, the engagement's off. I, obviously, I'm, I'm an ass. Well, she agreed that he was an ass. But after seeing that he's in the hospital and knowing that he's in all this financial trouble, she's inherited millions uh, from her divorce and she's willing to write him a check. Well, he says no and says, listen, this is my problem. I'm going to pay them off. I will figure this out myself. And I will come back to you and propose to you properly once I've sorted my issues out. I can take care of myself. Well, I thought that was really great that he did that because that proves that he is not willing to accept an easy handout for her. And he's going <laughs> to... You, you always take the money. Take the money, please. <laughs> well, I, seriously, if you're if you're a few million in the hole and someone's offering to write you a check, ooh, that's a hard thing to walk away from. Because that's not the type of job you you can't go work it off at Starbucks and say, oh, I owe a couple million. I'll, I'll just get a job and I'll pay these guys off. No, that is a lot of money. No matter what kind of job you have, I I don't know how he would have paid that off otherwise. But at the end of the episode, we did see that Renee, unbeknownst to Ben finds the mobster, and writes him a check. First of all, I had a few issues with this. Uh, Why the hell was the mobster in her home? Because clearly this dude is a little sketchy. He probably already knows where Ben lives, right? But does he need to know where Ben's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend Renee lives as well? So she's writing him a check in her own living room. And this guy, I mean, talk about scary music. He makes a comment about how, hey, you were married to that Yankee, right? You got all this money. Well, a classy lady like you, I know where you live. Dun, dun, dun. Clearly, this villain is not going away. And in fact, in the tease uh, for upcoming episodes, we saw this mobster again. So we know he's not going away. And I was just thinking, Renee, come on. You're a smart woman. Can't you at least meet him in a shopping mall food court or something meet him in a public place write him this check and then have it be done but apparently it's not going to be done so i hope something bad bad does not happen um what else could we talk about why don't we take a quick commercial break because we've got some predictions uh after after the break we can talk a little bit more about brie and orson and something that uh our viewer majid said from Qatar. I know I never finished that statement. So let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about that and then we'll get some predictions in here too. After Buzz TV. Hi, I was once like you. 
a lazy, angry Lona whose only joy was watching TV and surfing the net. And like you, after I'd see one of my favorite TV shows, I'd be so excited and have so many questions that I'd actually have to talk to my douchebag co-workers about it at the water cooler. Then I discovered AfterBuzzTV.com. AfterBuzzTV produces after-show webcasts and podcasts for TV series of all kinds, like post-game wrap-up shows for all your favorite TV shows. AfterBuzzTV hosts are industry insiders who break down episodes of shows, take calls from fans, and interview cast and crew from each series with over 60 different after-shows, from Boardwalk Empire to American Idol to Vampire Diaries to Real Housewives and more. Now, after a night of TV, I can ignore my stupid co-workers, who I hate, and go straight to my desk and watch or listen to all my favorite AfterBuzz TV after shows and have all the TV fan interaction I need. Thank you, AfterBuzz TV. AfterBuzz TV. What do you want to buzz about? All right, welcome back. So remember in this episode, there's a scene where Bree is making the croissants and Orson wheels his wheelchair in. Well, earlier in this episode, Bree specifically states to Orson, you're such a good friend. That's what she says. You're such a good friend, which implies from her perspective that she sees his return and his arrivals unexpectedly as just a friendship thing. She, her head is not even in the place of getting back together with him. Orson, however, clearly has a different idea about this and is clearly trying to get back under her skin and have more of a dominating uh, position in her life. No pun intended. Oh, that's a horrible thing to say. He's in a wheelchair. Anyway, so so as she's making these croissants, he's clearly been spending a lot of time at her house together, cooking, folding laundry, whatever, and she's making croissants, a few for him, but she's also making croissants for the ladies. And this is where Orson really steps up his manipulative powers because he essentially says, you know, that's really sweet of you to make these women this peace offering, but are you, have you really thought about this? And she says, yes, of course she's thought about it. And that is when Orson delivers the lie that I was talking about earlier where he says, the ladies came by the other day they said some nasty things about you. And essentially, his little speech to Bree makes her reconsider going over to these women. And so Majid from Qatar sent me this tweet today, and he said, you know, after all of these years of friendship with Bree, why would she take Orson's advice or listen to Orson more than the women? And I sort of see this both ways. I can understand how, sure, she has a history with these women. They have been her closest friends for many years, but they've been on the outs for quite a while. And Brie totally feels betrayed. In, in the last few episodes, we have seen that she completely feels betrayed by these women. She is an alcoholic again. She tried to kill herself. She feels like she has no friends, and she's hit rock bottom. She feels totally alone. So Orson... Even though he returns and he's a bit of a sketchy uh, ex of hers, ex-husband, and his and his return could be a bit sketchy from our, you know, the viewer's standpoint, Bree just needs a friend and Bree just likes having someone around. And Bree was thrilled by the fact that Orson 
wasn't judging her for burying that body in the woods. But in fact, he defended her, and he thinks her friends, Lynette, Susan, and Gabby, are the ones in the wrong. So I think Bree, in her lowest dark place, is feeling like she needs a friend, and she, and she's reconnected with Orson, and he is, he I don't know, her saving grace, perhaps. So I think maybe that's why she is, maybe that's why she's so easily duped by his manipulation. But... Majid, I think you're right. I think uh, based on years and years of friendship, it is a bit troubling to see a strong woman like Bree completely believe what Orson is saying, not even make her own attempt to reach out to these women. They live on the same block. How hard is it to run into these women out on the street or the sidewalk or at the mailbox or at the grocery store or whatever? I do think it is a bit odd for Bree to just go right along with Orson. But the good news is this initial trip to Maine, this visit, is supposed to be just a visit. That is, unless something really bad happens while she is away. Who knows what Orson really has planned for Brie? And as we talk about predictions, I uh, I just don't know. If, if some of you guys are listening to this podcast and want to tweet uh, at Derek Shore and send me your predictions for the next episode, please, please send them along because we're always – Curious. We hear rumors and we we read stuff, we read the blogs, but who really knows? I mean, unless you have a writer who's breaching their confidentiality agreement, unless you you know a writer who's willing to spill the beans, we we really don't know. I, I think one thing that's been kind of obvious, and we saw a hint of this in the tease, is that perhaps Lynette and Tom will be rekindling something. Who knows? This episode, we did not see Lynette with that same guy. Frank, I think, was his name. We didn't see Frank back in the picture. We know that that Lynette has been separated and the kids are, are spending time with Tom, and so she's finding a bit of her own freedom and enjoying this time. But I wouldn't be too surprised to see her get back with Tom. I just don't know. I know I've said that for this entire season. <laughs> plenty plenty of people out there would love to see them get back together, but I don't know. I still think it just may happen. The last episode, I was ready to give up on this and thinking that, okay, well, maybe Lynette has moved on. Maybe she does like being single. Maybe she does like dating. Maybe this is the Lynette we're going to see close out the Desperate Housewives series, but I wouldn't be surprised to, to see them get back together. The The line said something, uh, the line in the tease, Lynette said something to Tom to the effect of, if we weren't separated, the things I'd do to you. So that's a bit suggestive, and we'll see where that takes us. So that's my prediction for those two. In terms of Renee and Ben, I think Renee and Ben's romance will be rekindled. They'll become closer. But I also think something bad might be in store with them, and that's just based on what we saw in the tease and the fact that this ominous mob character made a comment about knowing where Renee lives. I guarantee you this guy will be back. He will definitely be back. In terms of Mrs. McCluskey, kind of weird to have a prediction about her because normally we don't talk about her character much on this show, but I hope she does okay. I, I mean, oh gosh, I would hate to see her die. She's been such a, a fixture on Wisteria Lane for for all of these seasons, and she's usually a bit snippy and has been a bit crabby t- to the girls, but she's an older lady, and it's it's been nice having her around. I hope that, that she and Roy get back together and that Gabby snaps out of it. 
And uh, in the meantime, it looks like Carlos is on his way back from rehab. He's got 16 days left. So I don't know if, if the episode's if, if real time in real life is the same as it is in these episodes, then we should be seeing more of Carlos on uh, the next couple of episodes. And in terms of Brie and Orson, who knows? I hope she goes off to this lake and uh, this lake in Michigan or in Maine or uh, the coastal house that they have. And I hope that she survives it. And to wrap it all out with predictions and, and wrap up the show, I know we've had a quick one today. Uh, the baby, the baby news with Susan, Julie, Lynette, and Porter Scavo. I have no idea where this one is going. There are moments I think, okay, there's going to be a baby on the lane, and they're going to keep it. There are other times when I think, wow, this baby is going up for adoption. So nobody really knows, but that is the beauty and magic of of Desperate Housewives uh, Season 8. We have just... Seven more full episodes left before the two-hour season and series finale that'll happen in a couple months. So keep tuning into the show. And while you're at it, keep tuning into AfterBuzz. Our Twitter handle is at AfterBuzz TV, right, Phil? At AfterBuzz TV? Correct. And you can find us on YouTube. You can just find us anywhere you want. You can also call into the show, 424-256-1729. When we're live on the air, feel free to call us and share your comments with us live on the air. So that's it. Phil Svitek, producer in the booth. Thanks for hanging out with me today. It's been real. No problem. Thank you. And for all of us here at AfterBuzz, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Oscars are on on Sunday, so there is no Desperate Housewives, but we will see you the week after that. Take it easy. From Bing.com, executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal. 